scripture tonight. We have two Old Testament scriptures, both from the book of Exodus and one New Testament scripture, uh, Matthew chapter 6. First of all, we're going to look at Exodus chapter 20, which is the giving of the Ten Commandments, looking particularly at the commandment, thou shalt not steal. Before we look at God's word tonight, will you pray with me for his blessing upon the reading and preaching of it? Heavenly Father, we ask that you would grant us wisdom and insight. By your spirit, we may see in your word the love you have for us in Jesus Christ, our Savior. That by your spirit, we may see the goodness of your law. The way in which we can express our gratitude and our thankfulness. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Hear now the reading of God's holy, inspired, and infallible word. Starting with Exodus chapter 20. can be found in your pew Bibles on page 118. Looking particularly at verse 15. And God spoke all these words. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an idol in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the fathers to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me. But showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter, nor your manservant or maidservant, nor your animals, nor the alien within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and your mother, so that you may live long in the land the Lord your God has given you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his manservant or maidservant, his ox or donkey or anything that belongs to your neighbor. Going over a couple pages to Exodus chapter 22, starting on page 121. We're going to be reading the first 15 verses of Exodus chapter 22. These are laws pertaining to the protection of property. If a man steals an ox or a sheep and slaughters it or sells it, he must pay back five head of cattle for the ox and four sheep for the sheep. If a thief is caught breaking in and is struck so that he dies, the defender is not guilty of bloodshed. But if it happens after sunrise, he is guilty of bloodshed. A thief must certainly make restitution, but if he has nothing, he must be sold to pay for his theft. If the stolen animal is found alive in his possession, whether ox or donkey or sheep, he must pay back double. If a man grazes his livestock in a field or vineyard and lets them stray and they graze in another man's field, he must make restitution from the best of his own field or vineyard. 
If a fire breaks out and spreads into thorn bushes so that it burns shocks of grain or standing grain or the whole field, the one who started the fire must make restitution. If a man gives his neighbor silver or goods for safekeeping and they are stolen from the neighbor's house, the thief, if he is caught, must pay back double. But if the thief is not found, the owner of the house must appear before the judges to determine whether he has laid his hands on the other man's property. In all cases of illegal possession of an ox or donkey, a sheep, a garment, or any other lost property about which somebody says, this is mine, both parties are to bring their cases before the judges. The one whom the judges declare guilty must pay back double to his neighbor. If a man gives a donkey, an ox, a sheep, or any other animal to his neighbor for safekeeping, and it dies or is injured or is taken away while no one is looking, the issue between them will be settled by the taking of an oath before the Lord that the neighbor did not lay hands on the other person's property. The owner is to accept this, and no restitution is required. But if the animal was stolen from the neighbor, he must make restitution to the owner. If it was torn to pieces by a wild animal, he shall bring in the remains as evidence, and he will not be required to pay for the torn animal. If a man borrows an animal from his neighbor... And it is injured or dies while the owner is not present, he must make restitution. But if the owner is with the animal, the borrower will not have to pay. If the animal was hired, the money paid for the hire covers the loss. Now before you go, Carrie, why are you reading a legal book in relation to the commandment, Thou shalt not steal tonight? Hold your horses, hopefully, as we look at the rest of the scriptures that we're reading tonight and also the, uh, the Lord's Day. You'll see why uh, this uh, commandment or the, that reading was chosen. We're also looking at Matthew chapter 6, verse 19 through 24. Once again, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus instructs, this is on page 1,504 of your pew Bible. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are bad... Your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Thus far the reading of God's holy word. May he bless it to the hands, hearts, and minds of his people. We're also going to be looking at tonight... Lord's Day 42, in the back of your Heidelberg, in the back of your Green Psalter hymnals in the Heidelberg Catechism, Lord's Day 42, it's page 54 in the back. And tonight, I can read the questions and we'll read the answers together. Lord's Day 42. What does God forbid in the Eighth Commandment? He forbids not only outright theft and robbery, punishable by law, but in God's sight, theft also includes cheating and swindling our neighbor by schemes made to appear legitimate, such as inaccurate measurements of weight, size, or volume, 
fraudulent merchandising, counterfeit money, excessive interest, or any other means forbidden by God. In addition, he forbids all greed and pointless squandering of his gifts. What does God require of you in this commandment? That I do whatever I can for my neighbor's good, that I treat him as I would like others to treat me, and that I work faithfully so that I may share with those in need. And that's the teaching of the catechism. Um, I'm not sure, most of you are probably familiar with R.C. Sproul, Ligonier Ministries. Um, he's since passed on. Um, but one of, the, one of my favorite things to watch are the Ligonier Ministry Conferences question and answers. They have this panel of great and formidable speakers, and uh, they take questions from the audience. And uh, there's a few of them that R.C. Sproul answers in his witty and profound way. Um, But one of them that relates to what we're talking about tonight is uh, at one of these Ligonier Ministries conference question and answer sessions, a question was asked by an audience member to the panel. And the audience member said that they had two brothers who who did not believe in God, and, and one of them in particular did not believe in sin. And and this brother argued, since he did not believe in sin, he didn't think there was any need for a savior. And so this question asked, how do I explain sin to my brother? How do I explain sin to him? And uh, classic R.C. Sproul quickly responded with the answer. Steal his wallet. You got some guy who's denying the reality of sin, denying the reality of right and wrong, and uh, he doesn't believe that he doesn't believe in sin. So, what's a way that you can teach him, help him understand what sin is? And R.C. Sproul, steal his wallet. And of course, the entire audience just erupts in laughter. And you've got this huge panel of, of, of very intelligent theologians and, and speakers, and none of, them, none of them went any deeper on that answer. They didn't add anything to it. They just left it at that. And uh, it's a great moment. You should look it up on YouTube. Just type in R.C. Sproul, steal his wallet. What was his point? What was the point R.C. Sproul was making? What he was making is that we all know there is such a thing as sin. Everyone does. We simply deny its existence when it suits us. But take someone's wallet or something else that they care about, and what will you hear from them? Hey, don't do that. Hey, that's mine. Hey, that's not right. Give it back. Why shouldn't I do it? Why is it not right? Why should I give it back? The Eighth Commandment is one of those commandments. It's self-evident. That every genuine person understands the wrongness about stealing what does not belong to you, taking what does not belong to you. 
And when you take something that belongs to them, their natural human response is that that's not right, that's wrong. And what I would say about R.C.'s answer is it's right on the money. Tonight we're talking about that, the Eighth Commandment. Thou shalt not steal. But once again, we have to remember that we're talking about it not in the sense of its negative connotation, its negative meaning. We're talking about it in the third section of the Heidelberg Catechism. What does thou shalt not steal have to do with gratitude, thankfulness? And hopefully... I don't have to convince any of you that stealing is wrong. But maybe there is some work to be done explaining and expositing and speaking about how the Eighth Commandment is to be expressed in terms of the third use of the law, gratitude, thankfulness. So, our theme tonight. God calls us in Christ to express our gratitude in how we use I know it's a bit of a long one tonight, isn't it? Our earthly goods. The nice thing about the theme is I only have to write it once. We have three points tonight. We're going to talk about the ownership of earthly goods. We're going to talk about the obtaining of earthly goods, and then we're going to talk about the use of earthly goods. The ownership, the obtaining, the use. So let's start here on this first point. The ownership, of course, the ownership of earthly goods. The first part of question and answer 110, what does God forbid in the Eighth Commandment? He forbids not only outright theft and robbery, punishable by law. So theft and robbery. And you might be asking yourself, Carrie, what does theft and robbery have to do with ownership? Well, theft and robbery presupposes ownership. Theft and robbery presupposes ownership. When God says in the Ten Commandments, you shall not steal, another thing he's saying is, things belong to you. You have personal property. And that's why I read that lengthy legal document 
Exodus chapter 22, which is headlined in our NIV Bibles in front of us is protection of property. God assumes in the people of Israel the concept of personal property, that things belong to you, right? And he goes about explaining in detail by case law how the commandment you shall not steal is to be applied. If this happens, then this happens. If this happens, then this happens. And we can get distracted because when we read Exodus chapter 22, he's talking about ox, sheep. But that's the way that they, and that season, and that community, and that era, monetize things. How much you own, how much you were worth was counted in sheep. Remember that psalm says, I, my God is the God who, who has the cattle on a thousand sheep, right? Is it saying that God has literally cattle on a thousand, you know, a thousand hills, cattle on a thousand hills? Is that what God is saying? Is that what the word is saying there? No, it's saying that, that God, everything belongs to him. And a modern interpretation of that today would be like, My God is the one who has millions of dollars in every bank account. Trillions. Everything belongs to God. And that is the presupposition before the concept of personal property. Isn't there? There's there's somebody who owns everything before we are given anything. And that is God. The concept of personal property, the concept of something belonging to you, is actually not about something that you've earned outrightly, but the scriptures say that personal property is actually personal stewardship. Stewardship. And Paul says it best in the New Testament, he says... Everything you have has been given to you. It's all of grace. All of it. And it's been given to you by God. And God apportions as he so wills. God apportions as he determines. God gives to each of us. And not only spiritually, right? As we're told when it concerns spiritual gifts. But also, he gives to each of us personal property that he expects us to steward. All belongs to God who is given to each of us according to his will. So personal property, ownership of earthly goods, should not be divorced from the God who has given us all good things. Personal property is the basis upon which We steward the things that God has given us and we steward them well. Interesting historical note. There was a large argument in the American founding about whether that great Declaration of Independence or I think it's in the Declaration of Independence, maybe Constitution, would say 
life, liberty in the pursuit of happiness or life, liberty in the pursuit of property. The concept of personal property is the basis upon which society takes place. It's when you allow for personal property, personal stewardship, that things become not an end, a means of an end in and of themselves, but a means to an end. So the ownership of earthly goods is the understanding that all things come from God and that God has given us these things to steward and to steward well. The question is, if we have personal property, then how do we go about obtaining that property. How do we go about obtaining earthly goods? The second part of the answer to 110, question 110 says, but in God's sight, theft also includes cheating, swindling, schemes, And it gives examples of these illegitimate means of obtaining earthly goods. Inaccurate measurements of weight, size, or volume. Fraudulent merchandising. Counterfeit money. Excessive interest or any other means forbidden by God. I don't know if you've ever perused through uh, the Proverbs or the Prophets. But there is a continuous theme in the Proverbs and the Prophets about this concept of weights and measures. It doesn't make any particular sense to us since it's not necessarily the way in which we monetize or think of money today. But for the longest time, it was. Proverbs 11, verse 1 says, The Lord abhors, the Lord hates dishonest scales, but accurate weights are his delight. Fairness honesty legitimacy these are all ways in which we are called as Christians to obtain earthly goods. If you've ever looked at one of your coins if you have any coinage on you and you see those rivets, those little small marks all the way around the coin, those were put in there as a, a measure against counterfeiting because back in the day when they, those were made of, 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 of precious metals, people would chip away little by little of those coins until they could build up some worth in, in silver or nickel or whatever it may be. And so they put those little rivets in the coins so that you could tell if somebody was chipping away at the coins because the coin's value was actually equal to its weight in the precious metal that it was made of. Our economic system at one point was based upon gold, was based upon the weight of gold, that the dollar was actually compared to something that was solid, that was specific. 
I was measured in weight. It's measured in different ways now. But that's what's behind the concept of inaccurate measures of weight, size, or volume. That there would be cheaters and swindlers in Israel who would create rigged weights and scales. Who would make profits off of these ways. This was condemned by the prophets. P-H-E-T-S, not prophets. Fraudulent merchandising, fake things, counterfeit money, excessive interest. Wow, what a way to condemn our American economy today. The excessive interest that's in our economy today. The excessive way in which credit card companies compound interest. Payday loans. Any other means forbidden by God. The way in which we are called to obtain earthly goods is in fairness, honesty, legitimacy, truthfully. All these illegitimate ways are rooted in sin. Not only because they're dishonest, not only because they pursue gain in ways that trick other people, but they're, they're rooted in sin because they're about laziness, not wanting to work hard to earn what you have. They're rooted in sin because they're about greed. They're ways in which they can make a little bit more than they were making before if they add a little bit of this to their product, which is actually fake or whatever it may be. They're rooted in sinful desires. And they're contrary to the character of God. They're contrary to the Christian character expressed in Christ. Who we are in Christ. If God is the one who has given us all things and called us to steward them well, God is also the one who was calling us to obtain earthly goods in a way that is consistent with his character. Consistent with the character of Christ. These things, cheating, swindling, schemes, inaccurate scales, fraudulent merchandising, counterfeit money, excessive interest, or any other means forbidden by God, these are also considered by God to be theft, stealing. Because they're not just. And God is just. We've got one final point. The use of earthly goods. And I hope, as we look at this third and final point, that you'll see how this commandment comes to rest in the New Testament era, in the New Covenant era. final part question and answer 110 says in addition he forbids all greed 
and pointless squandering of his gifts. We made that point already when I talked about the ownership that all that we have are gifts from God. That at the root of the commandment you shall not steal is the heart full of greed, lust for more. Greed is contrary to what God calls us to, which is contentment. Contentment. Matthew 6, Jesus preaches in the Sermon on the Mount about greed, about what the kingdom looks like when people live not for their own greed, not for their own gain, but for the kingdom. And he says, verse 19, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So part of the Eighth Commandment is asking the question, what lasts? What truly lasts? Is it personal property? Is it earthly goods? What is truly lasting in our world? And Jesus came and he revealed to us with more clarity that what is truly lasting in this world are people. Made in the image of God. Created to eternally exist with God. And Jesus said himself, The price of a soul is greater than all the things the world has. And he would know since he paid that price. God forbids his people to be greedy. Because greed presupposes that what you have belongs to you alone. Greed presupposes that what you have you can do with whatever you, did, whatever you wish. Whatever you desire. Greed presupposes that what you are called to live for is everything you can possibly get in this life because this life is all you got. Greed forgets that there is more after. The squandering of God's gifts in this life has eternal ramifications. Jesus says, don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth. Does he mean by that that you're not supposed to be wealthy or rich? That's not what he's saying. What he's saying is, if you live for whatever you can get in this life, and you don't take what you have and use it for the blessing of other people, 
to express gratitude in your generosity. Then you don't understand why God gave you earthly goods. And Jesus has that parable, doesn't he? The man, he has so much, his fields are overflowing. So what does he say? He says, I'm going to build more barns, bigger and greater barns. And once I have those barns built, I will fill those as well. And once all those are full, I will lay down and I will say, oh, my soul, I am so happy. Look at all that I have. And God will come to him and he'll say, you foolish man, you have everything you could possibly dream for in this life, but you have not repented and you have not believed in me and your soul will be required of you tonight. Why is that man being condemned? Because he stored up treasures for himself on earth, where moth and rust can destroy, and he did not consider eternity. And it's when we consider eternity, not out of fear, but the realization that God has expressed his utmost generosity and the giving of the great and the most indescribable gift, as Paul would say, and giving us his son, his son who was rich but became poor for our sakes and died on the cross to cover our sins and came back to life three days later so that we could have resurrection life. That is God's expression of generosity. That is the opposite of greed. God gave freely to those who were undeserving. You see, we're not only talking about the negative aspect of the command, right? Thou shalt not steal. If the positive aspect of the commandment, you shall not murder, is that you are called to preserve life, what is the positive aspect of the commandment, you shall not steal? Is that you are to be generous with what God has given you. And I don't want you to misunderstand me because I know that not everyone has the the physical goods, the earthly goods, to be generous like they would want to be. That should always be our desire and our goal because, as it says, what does God require of you in this commandment? That I do whatever I can for my neighbor's good, that I treat him as I would like others to treat me, and that I work faithfully so that I may share with those in need. But there are other ways that we can be generous. We can be generous with our time. We can be generous the way that we make ourselves available to others for counsel, for support, just someone to talk to who will listen. We can be generous with our gifts. We're a handyman, and so we're able to to come over to somebody's house and fix something for them and help them out in that way. We, we, We can be generous in other ways. But at the core of this expression of generosity is not only the understanding that God has given us everything that we have, that we are not to squander his gifts. It's not only with the understanding that personal property comes to us as personal stewardship of the things God has given to us. And that only comes from the understanding that these earthly goods that we gain are supposed to be gained rightly, justly, truthfully, honestly. But at its core, the call 
to be generous, the call to have contentment, is to trust in God's providential love and to also see the great and wonderful generosity expressed to us in the gospel. I thought often of some of those confusing statements in the Bible that almost seem to make things conditional. And one of those commandments in the Bible is about forgiveness. It's, it's something that Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount. He says, um, you must forgive your brother. And if you do not forgive your brother, your Father in heaven will not forgive you. Is what Jesus is saying there is that God's forgiveness for you is conditional upon your forgiveness of other people. That's not what he's saying. It's easily misunderstood in that way. What Jesus is saying is the person who has experienced the great and wonderful and majestic and unfathomable forgiveness of God cannot but forgive others for the insignificant in comparison wrongs that have been done against you. Well, I want to take that same principle and I want to apply it to the Christian life in terms of generosity. Maybe Jesus would say something like this. You must give to your brother, your neighbor. And if you do not give to your brother, your neighbor, God will not give to you. And if I were to say something like that, some of you may ask, is what you're saying that God's giving us things is conditioned upon us giving other things, like it's some sort of exchange like that? And my answer to you would be no. But an expression of the gratitude and thankfulness that we as Christian people have when we come to understand the indescribable gift that God has given us in Jesus Christ and our salvation. The debt that has been paid in wiping away all of our sins and giving us the perfect righteousness of Jesus is expressed in the way that we are generous And it is true that Christians should be the most generous people because we are the ones who know how generous God has been to us in Christ. That's why God calls us in Christ to express our gratitude and how we use our earthly goods. Amen. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you that you have given us an indescribable gift in Jesus Christ and our salvation. We pray, Lord, that you would protect us against the love of money, which is the root of many kinds of evils. That you would help us to know 
how to turn away from greed and how to gain earthly goods in a righteous and just way. We pray, Lord, that you would help us to do good to our neighbor in whatever way we can and to work faithfully with whatever work you give us so that we may share with those in need. We pray, Lord, that you would help us to store up treasures in heaven and not on earth where moth and rust can destroy. That you would help us to serve only one master, you and not money. Pray that we who are in America, who are so richly blessed with earthly goods, would not be arrogant or put our hope in our wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put our hope in you, God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Maybe we, may we be rich in good deeds and generous and willing to share. We ask all these things in Christ's name. Amen.